Hi, and welcome to Chop Chop, the Good Axe podcast. This is our very first podcast, so if you're listening now, consider yourself a lucky preliminary listener of our work. My name is Yolanthi Gabri, and I am co-founder of Good Axe, which is a professional co-working space, and we're located across Melbourne North. And I am Yul Gutenbeil. I operate the Mode Law legal platform for businesses, as well as I'm a principal of Attune Legal, which is a commercial law firm in Melbourne. You're also the co-founder of Goodax. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so today we are wanting to start things off chop chop with a bang. The subject that has been top of mind around the Goodax office for at least the last month is AI. And we're asking the question today, is AI the end of days for the professional class? So why do you think that people, particularly professional people, are so scared by the boogeyman of AI? I think there's actually quite a few reasons and they all kind of just like mix together in this soup of anxiety. Firstly, it's because of the unknown. It's very new. It sounds very big and very scary. It sounds like it's coming for your job. People don't know how it works. People don't know how the data they import it, uh, input into it's going to be used. They've got legitimate privacy and confidentiality concerns. They've got concerns about intellectual property. And they've heard about all the bad things that can happen with AI. So there's every day you open your news app of choice and you'll find out some horror story of how AI has gone off the rails or been used in in a really unethical or irresponsible way. But it also leads into concerns about their own job security. If they aren't familiar with these AI tools... How are they going to get familiar with them? How are they going to adopt it to stay competitive? And I think that the main thing is, at least in my experience, that there's a lack of information out there about the practicalities of what AIs are available for professionals in different industries, which ones are good and which ones are safe to use. So I think all that distills down to if there was more information out there or if you've taken the time to explore what is available and use it and figure out how they work, how useful they are, how best to interact with them, I think a lot of concerns can be allayed that way. But there's very little information out there that does that. Mm. So is the boogeyman of AI really that different to any new technology that we haven't worked out A, what it is, and B, how to integrate it into our working lives. Is it just another iteration of the Gutenberg Press or the internet or the telephone or streaming services? Is this this an old story in a new form? It's an old story in a new form, but that's not to say that it's a small story. Mm -hmm. We are living through an upheaval, and this is really kind of just the beginning of it. And what tends to happen with these things is that there will be a big, sharp, upward learning curve and it's very messy for a while uh, while we figure out how to use it how it needs to be regulated and all these kinds of things which is like the early days of the internet right and it was just that the internet didn't really know what it was or how to be and the rules around how we interact with each other were unknown and they had to form over time i remember in the 90s if somebody met on a dating site on the internet it was the weirdest strangest thing and now it's kind of the opposite and so That's the analogy for what's going to happen, I think, with AI as we get more used to using it. The norms of how and what is acceptable will become self-evident. So, actually, I've got a couple of questions for you. 
Now, Yolanthi, I've got some questions for you. Are you worried about AI taking over the jobs of writers? Not particularly. I realise that sounds naive, but before I engaged with it, I, I had viewed that people who would imagine that they could use AI for writing long-form quality content that wasn't just for SEO optimization uh, by using AI, I thought that was the kind of client that I wouldn't want to work with anyway because I imagine that they actually don't have a respect for content and it's just something that they that they know they need to use for a mechanical outcome like making a website rate more highly. Mm. Now that I have explored AI a little, I still do not feel that AI will take jobs away from skilled writers. I think it will probably make the structuring of their work a little faster. Mm. But I think that, you know, in the digital marketing category, which is where my business lies, I own a uh, mature digital marketing agency called Ruby Assembly, and we produce social content from professional services in addition to long-form content. So, indeed, AI could impact on our work and our livelihood. I don't feel that it replaces research material that speaks to the genuine concerns of clients' concerns or niches. It can make things faster, but it ultimately shouldn't threaten quality writers. Yeah, and I think that one of the key issues with that keeps popping up with AI is related to research so because people will often treat AI in the same way they would a search engine which it is not it's not the same thing as a search engine it may have been trained on the internet but that doesn't necessarily mean the answer that it's going to give you is factually correct so that's another point where humans will have to stay involved for the foreseeable future until some version of AI is actually more accurate for providing information you know accurate information because there is this thing called hallucination in AI where it generates answers that sound completely legitimate out of whole cloth. They're just completely lies and fabrications because the way they work is they are predicting the next word, the most likely next word that will work in this sentence or this paragraph in the context of the, the brief that they've been given. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a drawing on accurate information, it's saying, well, if I've been asked for, in my example, a case citation, it will generate a case citation that looks legitimate and provide a case summary that looks legitimate. And if you were just to have that in front of you and read it, you'd say, that sounds legit. And it's absolutely not. And the same would go for the work that you and your team do for your clients where you need to research relevant topics and you can't afford to bring your clients into disrepute by having manufactured information that's completely inaccurate, doesn't exist. Mm. So I feel that people who sense that AI is the answer to replace their poor quality VA's work, the clients or people who have that attitude towards communication aren't likely to be really producing high quality media anyway. So uh, I guess I'm not too concerned overall. Now, you have explored the use of AI with some rigour within your work as a lawyer. What are the principal ways that you've used AI in your practice? So the main way I use AI is as a starting point for new documents. That will generally be 
drafting an email or, or uh, a policy or getting the structure of a document. So, for instance, policies, there might be a law that says you need to have a policy that with these features. And I can feed that information into a generative AI, say ChatGPT, and it will generate a document that's kind of pro forma that meets that. And then the next task for me is to complete that. But the hard work of, of getting the structure right, headings, what should go in each paragraph, what should go in each paragraph with it, under each heading, numbering, all that sort of stuff can often be done out of the very quickly by an AI, and then it just leaves the task of actually completing it to me. And then also, I may use AI to improve my writing by correcting spelling and grammar, or often I will get it to do a first draft where I feed it a list of the ideas. I want you to write me an email that covers these five issues and it will formulate it into prose. So that's the, the first use case that I have had for it. Mm -hmm. And the second one that I'm, I'm starting to use it a lot more for is actually providing information about long documents, generally contracts, where I can ask, it will, uh, I've got an, a legal specific AI plugin for Microsoft Word that will do that for me. So it'll open up a Microsoft Word contract, it'll look through it, it'll say, these are the parties, these are some terms we think you should be aware of, we think they're not quite right, and then it also generates kind of like a table of contents of its own, mm -hmm. where it calls out particularly important clauses, as well as providing a chat window where it can help me draft specific clauses, and I've found that to be, in some cases, shockingly good, but also, in a lot of cases, it just doesn't work at all. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a, I think it, it needs to be said that these technologies are very new, less than a year old, and they will take a while f for the developers to, to improve them to the point where they are reliable. I don't expect them to ever get to 100%. We need to think of AI assistance as people, like n not literal people, but an assistant, someone mm -hmm. that helps us with things. We wouldn't expect a person to get everything 100% correct all the time. When we ask people to do tasks, they say, well, yeah, this is pretty good, but can you go back and, and, and tidy these bits up? That's the same process of working with a, an AI. So might not get it right the first time. Really, you just want to get it, ask it a couple of prompts to get it to a point where you can finish it off and polish it up. Mm. Yeah, but they sound like pragmatic ways of using a new technology and really testing the veracity of the information that it gives you. Yeah, so how about you? Have you begun using AI and and or integrating it into your business? So AI has been in a number of the apps that we use for designing content for quite a while on the sly, but the quality of the applications within products like, say, Canva or Descript, which is a video editing piece of software, have really ramped up in the past six months. So I've been using AI without really calling it AI just to improve, you know, aspects of media that I'm producing. But I've only once, no, twice intentionally gone to experiment with AI and like yourself, I have used AI to 
helped me begin drafting material. So I needed a press release for Good Axe's clothes swap, which we're holding in June. And I wanted to be able to send that to our local councils and local news organisations. And I asked it to create a, a traditional press release. And look, it was pretty good. It was a bit overly long, but it did most of what I wanted it to do. And from there, I refined the question that I asked it probably twice until I got a product that was closer to what I needed and then I needed to edit it. So again, it didn't do the work for me. It just sped up what my intention was. But one thing that I have become more literate around is that, you know, we speak about AI in these really broad terms and we think about chat GPT. But the reality is, is that... AI's power will be built into all these different products. So at the moment, I'm really interested in scouring the internet to find AI products that will make, for example, video or audio editing really fast, and they're getting better. They still obviously involve a human touch, but I'm interested in products that will make our offering at Ruby Assembly better and faster and more complex. So I actually think that it will allow smarter people to do more of a higher quality in less time. I agree. So with every new technological advancement, there's inevitably a field of professions that arise. What kinds of new professions may spring from the advent of AI? I think what will happen is there will be new kind of sub-professions. So in order to use an AI, you need to be able to give it a prompt that will result in a useful output. And coming up with those prompts, first and foremost, will become an, a form of expertise in and of itself. And depending on the industry, there will be professionals related, you know, that, that evolve and jobs that will be created in that area to come up with those prompts for existing AIs, but I think increasingly for more niche artificial intelligent products that are just for those industries. So and the, the thing that comes to mind is like in the 90s, or even 80s and, and 90s, when drafts people moved from drawing with pen and paper into CAD, using CAD became a niche skill set for, for a while that was you know, highly sought after, and I think it still is to, to an extent, but it really opened up the possibilities of, of what could be done with a computer to, to, to generate these drawings. I think something similar will happen where exp experts will kind of just form around different being able to use AI to achieve particular outcomes in different industries. Hmm. Now, I've got another question for you. How about before using the current generation of AI, what was your perception of generative AI? I'd say pretty sceptical, but mostly because of the fact that when AI, even now, is discussed because people don't fully understand what it is, it's used as this umbrella term and it's kind of like the machines are coming for your jobs. That's usually the conversation that, that couches, you know, generative AI. So I guess being in a creative field, I didn't feel great about AI, but I also didn't feel threatened by it because I don't think that the human touch is something that a computer can offer. I think also that 
in the last three years because of pandemic, our days have been peopled by communication via screens more than ever. So we might be speaking to our teams, team members via Slack, three days out of five even now. And when we're seeing text on a screen or text from our friends in Facebook Messenger, we accept that the person on the other end of that screen is a human. And so for us as humans who have become increasingly digitised in terms of our intimate relationships, when we look at, at AI and we see it coming up with stuff that sounds very human, on some level, I think we feel like it is a sentient being there. Mm. But when you see hallucinations or, or when you see it become kind of confused or unable to help you, you recognise that, no, it's not a human, it is a machine, and it's not thinking in the same way we think as humans. So I see it very much as a new technology, like the internet. Like, without the internet, I certainly wouldn't have the business that I have today. Mm. You know, it's something that powers the fabric of what we produce in terms of media in the future. It is highly likely that our kids will have jobs that not only involve the internet, all things digital, but it will probably involve AI. It would, it would be strange for me if, if the world didn't integrate AI to make things faster and simpler. I don't know if that means it'll make things better, but I hope it will. With that next generation, the line between human interaction and interaction with an, an AI will become even more blurred because they'll be even more convincing as people. And even I, when I'm writing my prompts, usually start them with please. Yes, because when you're communicating with colleagues or peers, when you're writing an email, you say please. And it feels wrong to treat your virtual digital assistant like a subaltern. That's because you're a nice guy. Some people are probably just like, oh, I can't, I don't, I don't want to speak badly to the AI. I'm not even going to pretend <laughs> yeah, to. It's, it's very <laughs> I, even I struggle to drop the please. Yeah. You're in closing today's discussion. Do you think that AI is the end of days for the professional class? Is it going to take away professional jobs? I don't think it's going to, well, it will upset the job market. It's going to change the criteria on which people are hired. I think it's going to make things difficult for new professionals to enter the industry to get the expertise that is kind of needed to make those human judgment calls, particularly in my industry. I have some hope that it will change the way we, as the more senior professionals, train our juniors to help them get to that point. The learning curve is going to be very high, but at the same time, we also just need to learn how to train people to use the modern tools that are available on the day and then interpret what is output from it and, and ensure that it's, you know, edit it and tailor it to make sure that it's, it's doing what it's intended to. So I, while I still think that that will be an issue, it's not. It can't, it's one that will be overcome. Mm. I mean, that literacy around use of technology that is easily comparable to learning for the first time how to use a search engine. We were taught how to use search engines. You know that if you put in certain information, you'll get a better search than by putting in more general information into Google or, as I 
began using Internet AltaVista, you're taught how to use those tools and then you were taught to grade them for veracity as well. Mm. So, you know, you're still making a decision about how likely information is to be relevant and real, you know, from an internet search and, and likewise we have to put the same lens over our use of AI. Absolutely. So we hope that you've enjoyed the first episode of Chop Chop. Yule and I will seek to highlight our members' successes, looking at different trends impacting upon collective workspaces as well as trends and challenges within our our own industries. I am going to share with you my favourite business book at the moment, which is by an author called Jenny Stilwell. Her second book is called The 7% and it is looking at ways to scale your business. So you managed to be one of the 7% of businesses which managed to write over 2 million buckaroonies. So that is a very well-written book. It is full of narratives that are actually quite relatable. What's something that you can offer the audience in terms of a, a, a book or media that you have found useful for business at the moment? I have recently finished Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. I find it very useful. I have not got to the point where I'm actually going through and completing all the the worksheets that are really at the heart of that book but I have faith that when I get around to it and, I, and, and provided you know like all these things that I'm diligent and consistent with it that it will yield results. So that's it from us for this episode. Chop chop! Chop chop! <laughs>